Well, welcome everyone. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, King's Church and it's my privilege to lead the team. Um, as you'll have picked up from Kevin and Natalie, this morning isn't a normal morning in, in many respects, uh, being, a, being a gift day. Um, so if you are visiting today, I hope, I hope you don't mind being with us um, on such a morning as this and I hope you just enjoy uh, watching and uh, please pray for us uh, that God will uh, bless us in this season. Jim and Jackie, could you stand up, please? Now, Jim and Jackie have been married for 50 years. Isn't that brilliant? I arranged these myself. (laughs) If you're married here, or if you have an ambition of being married here, you should aim to be like Jim and Jackie. You should, you should consider, you should think, I want to be married for 50 years. I'm going to commit. I'm going to work through. I'm going to overcome. I'm going to have great highs and probably some struggles as well, but I'm committed to this person for life. And Jim and Jackie, we honour you And I know there's probably hundreds in this place that say, yeah, we we want a marriage that honours God in the way that yours does and endures as yours has and will continue to do. Lord, thank you for Jim and Jackie. We pray, would you bless them and be with them. I pray for marriages, Lord, in this place, for your blessing and your sustaining power to be upon them. I pray, Lord God, for great highs and delights and that your sustaining grace will help us when there are struggles. Be with us in these things, we ask. I pray as well, Lord, as I speak this morning, that you will enable me, enable me by your Holy Spirit to communicate with freedom and liberty. And I pray there would be a spirit of freedom and liberty in this place. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent. This morning I'm not going to be speaking about prayer, fasting, buildings or giving, although any of those would be suitable on a morning uh, like this. But we're going to continue our John series uh, by looking at John chapter 11. So if you've got your Bibles, if you can uh, turn to John chapter 11, that would be great. If you're a visitor, don't worry that people are getting up and leaving. It's not a reflection on my preaching. Um, Well, I don't think it is anyway. Um, The youth are just popping out and uh, they'll be doing something for the next 45 minutes. Brilliant. Let's read John chapter 11. We'll start at verse 1 and we'll work our way through. This is a brilliant, this is an outstanding account in the Bible. It's where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet 
with her hair. And we haven't read this story yet. This comes in chapter 12. So the writer John is uh, highlighting something that will happen in the future. It hasn't yet happened. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. We then move down to verse 17. So after two days, Jesus um, leaves where he is. He travels back to Bethany. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Lazarus had died. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour for he has been there Four days. If, you re- if you're reading the King's James Version, it talks about um, uh, don't roll the stone away because he stinketh, is the phrase, which I thought was a lovely phrase. They should have kept it in the NIV. He stinketh. So, as many men do stinketh, I'm sure, um, but he probably did a little bit more than that. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me. 
but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is quite an amazing account in the Bible. It is the, uh, probably the last sign that John records prior to the cross. So through John's Gospel, um, John has been recording various signs. Um, he, he spoke about Jesus turning water into wine, the healing at the pool, Jesus feeding 5,000, Jesus heals the man born blind, now Jesus raises the, raises the dead. It's probably the greatest sign all pointing to who Jesus is. They're all pointing towards the fact that Jesus wasn't just an amazing man, but he was God incarnate, God who came to dwell on earth. He is the Son of God. Different but co-equal with God. And that's what John is keen to do. Right the way through this Gospel, he is looking to the fact that Jesus is the promised Saviour and the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you can have eternal life. This is the central theme of the Gospel. Now when I read this account, there there was so much in it, there was so much stuff that we could pull out of it, but I've decided I just want to touch on a number of sort of compelling themes that I, I have seen in here, and then I want to sort of look at what is the application for us or for for you as individuals, what's the application for us as a church, and then what are the implications for our town? And I sort of want to unroll it um, in that way. I think the first compelling theme that I notice from this is the tenderness of Christ. You can't help but read this account without being uh, touched by the the clarity you, you see how much Jesus cared for the people in this story. It mentions about how, how much he loved Lazarus, how much he loved Martha and Mary. He mentions that a number of times. God incarnate, God come to dwell, God on earth, and that he loves people just like you and me. And as many commentators say, there isn't really much we know about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. There's nothing that seems to be particularly outstanding. They weren't, they weren't great minds. They, they weren't educated necessarily to the highest level. They weren't in, in, a, in authority or government or anything like that. There didn't seem to be anything special. But Jesus in his sort of preaching and travelling ministry had obviously hooked up with this family and got close to them. When Jesus gets to the tomb side, or when he uh, meets Mary, it says that Jesus wept. One commentator said you, you, you could communicate, it could have been communicated, Jesus burst into tears. He was, he was deeply moved. Jesus knew the miracle about to happen, he knew what he was going to do, but he was moved by the pain and grief that he saw in those around him. Bruce Milne says this, Jesus is one with us in our need. He feels our pain. He lives our experience from the inside. His tears in that moment authentically express the emotion of his heart. And sometimes I think we can think that God's just a little bit distant. He sees what's going on and maybe in in his emotions he's he's a bit moved by what is going on um, but but he doesn't really link with us. Maybe a little bit like how we can be when we watch the 10 o'clock news. 
You know, we can see disaster and strife and turmoil right across the world and you sort of think, oh, that's a shame. Would you like a cup of tea? Okay, we'll go and get a cup of tea. And, and you can become a bit desensitised to what's going on around you, but, but Christ is moved by the pain that he sees. He's moved by what he sees going on around him. Jesus wept. The second um, uh, sort of compelling theme that I notice here, which I find this is quite challenging, is we see the providence of God and the suffering of man. We see the supremacy of God and the vulnerability of man. You can't help but notice as you read this account that really the, the, main, the main people in this account are pretty hopeless. You know, Lazarus no doubt fought sickness as long as he could. And then he was defeated. Mary and Martha, sisters who loved him so much, no doubt did all they could, but when faced with this big enemy of death, were incapable of changing it around. And yet we see in a moment when Jesus turns up on the scene how dramatically things turn around. You see the supremacy of God and his power and his glory and his authority and yet you see the weakness of man and how vulnerable we are in so many ways. When, when we consider it from Lazarus' perspective, it all seems to be running away from him. When it's considered from Christ's perspective, it seems that he's in complete control. These are challenging, these are challenging things. And what is even more challenging is, it seems that when Jesus heard that there was sickness, and I think at that time he had a feeling he knew it was going to end in death, but he was going to reverse it. He didn't rush to Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but actually he deliberately stayed where he was for two days. And I find that so provoking and challenging because when I'm in pain and when I'm suffering, my main agenda is how can I reverse that so I'm not in pain anymore and I can get rid of the suffering. And yet it appears here when we read the story that actually God or Jesus has a bigger agenda. He has something else in his perspective. And it's not, as I've said already, that he's not concerned about Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but we we see from this account how he is concerned, and it says here, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And often, in often times, in our suffering and hardship, our immediate concern um, expressed in prayer and effort is, how can I change these circumstances? When sometimes I wonder if actually God wants to work his purposes through the things that we are suffering to bring him greater glory. Hudson Taylor said this. Hudson Taylor was a missionary who was out in China um, the century before last. He suffered great trials. I I I think he buried his wife in China. I think some of his children died in China. And this is what he says. Trials afford God a platform for his working in our lives. Without them, I would never know how kind, how powerful and how gracious he is. It's a very easy thing to preach about. It's a very difficult thing to live through. Romans 8.28 
verses we know so, we're so familiar with them. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And if you are in a place of suffering and difficulty at the moment, if I could ask you, please, as I'm sure you are, push into God. Don't don't press the stop button on your God life saying, how can God love me if I'm going through this? Please push through. Please seek God for grace. It's a bit like pushing stop ten minutes into a movie because you don't, you, I don't like the start, but it's not until you see the whole thing that you glimpse something of what the story was about and how it was working together and how all the pieces work together. And maybe in this life we never will know why certain things have happened. But we know what the Word of God says, that in all things, even the worst things that happen to us, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Lord, I ask for grace. I pray for those, Lord, that are in the midst of trials and suffering at the moment. Lord, we don't, we don't say these things glibly. We ask for supernatural grace to come. I pray for glimmers and flickers of faith to re-emerge in hearts. Lord, I ask you, Lord, in the storms of life, uh, we, would, we would know what it is to cling on to you and to be rooted on you. Lord, give us grace, I pray. Amen. Another compelling thing from this story is amazing faith. In that short story between Martha, saw a story, that short conversation between Martha and Jesus, although she initially questions Jesus, she then goes on and says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. What what amazing faith in the midst of her brother being laid in a tomb four days ago. She says, but even now I know the Father will give you whatever you ask. And we see it expressed in an even more tremendous way in verse 27. She says, yes Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God who has come into the world. And I I believe that's an amazing thing she realised. She she realised the whole central theme of John's Gospel was standing in front of her in the form of a man. In spite of severe trials, and she questioned, but faith, faith grew through. And then just lastly, sort of really a sort of passing comments, um, uh, and then, then just a few things I just want to say as, as, as we gather it together, is I think as well I'm just amazed at the authority of Christ. When he turns up, everything changes. It says in verses 33 and 38, it says, He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. This isn't so much to do with grief as anger. As Jesus approached the tomb, he was angry. He wasn't angry with Martha and Mary. He wasn't angry with the other mourners. He wasn't angry with Lazarus. He didn't have enough willpower to stay alive. He was angry at death. He was outraged 
in his spirit. This isn't right. This isn't, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Jesus was outraged, and this is how Calvin describes it, as the violent tyranny of death. He hated death because it wasn't how it was designed to be at the beginning. So as he approached the tomb, he approached as a champion preparing for conflict. And Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet wrapped in strips of linen, a cloth over his face. He would have shuffled out. I don't know how he did it. He couldn't see. Maybe all he could see was sort of like he could see the open tomb and he could see the light coming and and going through the cloth that was over his face as he shuffled out. But people had to unwrap him. But in that moment of Jesus turning up, something that was dead came alive. Something that was hopeless suddenly got filled with hope. Now, actually, Lazarus died. In the end, he died, maybe as an old man later on. So it wasn't like a permanent uh, down payment on resurrection life. He hadn't received it all. But an amazing miracle took place. And in this life, we're always going to have to uh, struggle with the sort of now and not yet. We believe in something so much more that is to come and yet we struggle with frail bodies, with with bodies that need healing or people that, that pass away and die and we're left on our own. All of those things will remain in there but we cling on to God and we trust him and sometimes we get turnaround. Sometimes as Simon was praying for arthritis in hands, that goes. And we can see sort of like down payments on what we've got to come, coming now into this age. But more than likely, unless Jesus returns... All of us at some point will die. And that's, that's something we've got to battle with with this, with this Christian life, the now and the not yet. What about you? As you read this story, what are the things that start to go round in your mind? I think the greatest thing that went through in my mind as I read this is this is a beautiful reflection of the Gospel. Here we see Lazarus, he is dead and he is buried in the tomb. Sickness has ravaged his body and after a fight his body gave up and he died. It reminds me of the wonder found in the Gospel. We are born in sin, bodies ravaged with the effects of sin. We're unable to make ourselves body. We are slowly decaying until in the end life drains from us. Dead buried in sin and its effects, set to face judgment and eternal separation from God, we are without hope until Jesus turns up in our life. Suddenly we have this revelation of who Jesus is. He, he appears to us, maybe not physically, well it certainly wasn't with me or many of you I know, but it's sort of we get a glimpse of Jesus and suddenly life springs into our dead bodies. We suddenly realise there is a hope beyond just what we can touch and feel and experience now, found in the person Jesus Christ. The Gospel doesn't leave us in the tomb, just as Lazarus needed the awesome power of God to overcome the grave, so we need the power, the righteousness and the grace of Christ to save us from our sin. And and family couldn't save Lazarus. Religion, formal religion, you know, it's only two miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the height of religion in Israel. But religion couldn't save Lazarus. Only an encounter with Jesus Christ. That was all it was. Only an encounter with Jesus Christ could turn death into life and it's exactly the same for us. 
And so as I read this and I contemplate this, it makes me think, ah, oh, the wonder of the Gospel. I was as hopeless as Lazarus in the tomb until Jesus Christ revealed himself to me and then I could cling on in faith and I was born again. I was given a fresh start. The righteousness of God was imputed into me. Ah, oh, it's the glory of the Gospel. Do you know that's just how you were? Do you know that? You were dead, just like Lazarus. And then Jesus Christ revealed himself to you and, and, and you came alive. Your sin dealt with. It's the wonder of the Gospel. That's, that's why as we worship, I tell you, it, as we worship, we worship with an energy and a vibrancy with our hearts. For why? Because Christ has done so much for us, far beyond anything we could do on our own. It's a free gift from God. Just as Lazarus, he didn't even call Jesus. He was dead. Christ broke in to his deadness and brought life. It's absolutely wonderful. The gospel is wonderful. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? This is the hope that's contained within the gospel. It's absolutely wonderful. And whether you heard it 35 years ago and that's when you received Christ or whether you may be here today and you have never heard what I've just said before. The truth should live in our hearts in just the same way. Because we we live every day in the good of the Gospel. We live every day in the good of what Jesus has done for us. Not earned, but given as a free gift. So as individuals, what's the application for us? I'd, 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 I'd love you to maybe next week have another read of this. Just savour the Gospel. Enjoy what Jesus has done for you. What about us as a church? I think the thing that spoke to me about, out of this passage about what about us as a church, I think it's possible to look right but have no power. You see, the, the, the Jews from Jerusalem, they were there. When it came to religion, they were on the money. When it came to tithing, they did the 10% right the way down to the little herbs and seeds from their garden. When it came to public prayers and prayers, they were at every prayer meeting. You, you could, in a sense, have an outward form of religion, but have no power. And I think for us as a church, I want to plead with you, please don't just be satisfied with an outward form. Don't be satisfied with the fact, well, I come on a Sunday and, you know, Ali and Max, they're pretty lively musicians and I sort of engage a little bit and the preaching can occasionally be fairly entertaining. Do you know what I mean? So I'll come along and I'll, I'll have a look. But just as I was talking about this wonderful salvation, this Christianity that we believe in changes lives. It changes us. There is a power to it. It is not something that we have worked up from within. It's something that's come from without and changed and transformed our lives. And so whether it's salvation that we've just been looking at or baptism in the Holy Spirit, so in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Or whether it's sanctification, what's that? That's growing in holiness. It talks about keep in step with the Spirit. When it comes to prayer, in Ephesians 6 verse 18, it talks about praying in the Spirit. When it comes to preaching, in 1 Corinthians 2 verses 4 and 5, it says, when I came to you, I didn't come with wise and persuasive words as I spoke to you the mysteries of Christ, but I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so your faith would not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. Oh, as he falls off the stage. 
<laughs> this, this power. And in our individual lives, we should have an experience and an expectation of encountering God. An outward form is not the real deal. You, as far as we're concerned, you can be there. But as you worship, your heart should be warmed. It's not, I'm not wanting to put pressure on you in that sense, but it should be, as you sing some of these truths, your, your heart engages with you. You say, wonderful, that's me. If you find that when it comes to prayer you're absolutely dead, you, there's, there's two options. Either you're not saved, or you need to pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Because prayer is communication with our Father. Now, it's not that all the time, you know, we're, we're touching heaven as we're praying. Sometimes it is just a bit hard work. But, but oftentimes that encounter we've got, when you open your Bible, you need to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and make it live. This is supernatural stuff. This isn't stuff that we just... I mean, we do need to grow in our wisdom and our understanding of the Word of God and the Bible, but we need the power of God. We, and as a church, we mustn't settle for something that looks fairly good on the outside, but in the inside is devoid of any power to bring real change or transformation to people's lives, or even our own. And so if over the last five, six years you really have seen no progress in your Christian faith, let me encourage you to get on your knees and seek God. Because there are two options. Either you're not keeping in step with the Spirit, in which case you need to repent and say, God, come and help me. Or you're not saved, so you need to get on your knees and say, oh God, have mercy on me. We need to grow. I'm not saying this is a good word when we're about to ask you for your money, but still, anyway. But I think, but, but this is the reality of what we find in the New Testament. And what about Hastings? What about our communities? What about those uh, that, that we encounter week in, week out? What about our town? Our dear town needs the life of Christ. A mere superficial religion will not suffice. We need all the power, all the compassion and all the resilience that is contained within the Gospel. When we encounter the town, we, we need to be like Jesus, not like the Pharisees. We have something to offer that sees people's lives changed. But we need to experience it first ourselves. When Paul turns up in uh, Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, we find a church that is supernaturally birthed. He turns up and there are 12 men there and he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So he communicates to them about it. They believe in Jesus, they're baptised in water, um, and then they praise that they'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's supernaturally um, birthed. We then go on and see this vigorous preaching. For three months, Paul preaches in the synagogue, and then when he gets thrown out of the synagogue, for two more years he preaches in um, a lecture hall, and it says in verse 10 of chapter 19, all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That's Turkey. Turkey came to know the word of the Lord due to the preaching in this capital city of Ephesus that Paul was engaged with. And towards the end of this chapter in verse 20 it says, and in this way the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. What it talks about when it says the word of the Lord growing widely, it means lives are changed. 
It means that the, the gospel, the truth contained within the Bible has had effect in people's lives and their lives are changed. We are a church that believes we need the power of God and yet we need preaching of the word. We need communication and discipleship in the word. The two go together. Now the effects on the city are significant. We find there are signs, wonders and miracles in verse 11. Even handkerchiefs that Paul had were taken and given to the sick and they were healed. We find that the whole spiritual climate of the city is changed. It says that scrolls were burned um, worth up to five million pounds. So people were responding to the gospel. They had all these sort of scrolls and manuscripts that had spells on them, things like that, occult sort of stuff, and they were all burnt. They were worth over five million pounds in, in modern money. You get, you get the meaning. And in verse, 25, we, in verse 25, we find the whole economy of the city changed. People were so affected with the gospel, they were no, bu- no longer buying little idols. And one of the main manufacturing industries in Ephesus at that time was making these little idols. Everyone could have your own idol, put in your lounge, and you could bow down and worship it a little bit. Well, people were responding to the true and the living God. They didn't want these little fake idols anymore. So the economy was affected in such a dramatic way, they dragged Paul off before the Roman authorities to get him sorted out. You see, so what started as a church birthed in power, taught solidly in the word of God, grew in the miraculous and affected the whole spiritual climate and the economy, that's the ambition that we should have. that our schools and colleges, our workplaces, what happens on the streets outside our homes is affected because we are here. Now that isn't possible with a mere superficial religion. It is only possible by a genuine work of the grace of God. Now I know that as I'm preaching this stuff and you know that I do enjoy enjoy some of this stuff, I get into it a little bit, I know that you're convinced of it, many of you. It's, it's, It's why you join, it's why you're here. But for some of you, your hearts have grown just a little bit cold and you need need to use this season of prayer and fasting. Say, come on, I'm going to get get hold of God. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't challenge you in this way. So what next? Lazarus was raised from the dead, not by kind words or good intentions, but by the power of Christ. And as a church, we need to be full of the power of Christ in our lives, not just an outward form, but an inward reality. We need to look to be enjoying the gospel daily, uh, experiencing intimacy in our prayer and worship, feeding on the word, keeping in step with the spirit, um, throwing your lot in with the church. God's people. Now, over the last few months, we've been asking you to prayerfully and thoughtfully consider how much you can give in this season of giving. As we take the next step as a church in what we believe are God's purposes to seeing Hastings reach through the gospel, and that's why we're doing it. We want to see the church blessed, but we want to see our town touched with the gospel. I would ask you to give generously this morning. As Kevin mentioned, you, you, if, if you've come completely unprepared and would like more time, there's another three weeks after this. But actually, God may well be speaking into many of your hearts now, figure, or you've already come prepared. I say, give generously. Give generously to what God is doing. It's not about building a building, but it's about touching 
people's lives. The impact of us doing this, I believe, will be massive. It will double the space we have for our children. It will provide an excellent um, coffee shop which will benefit both us on Sundays and us during the week and our town. It's going to open up just where Neil and John are there. Have a glance out of there at the end of the meeting, just the backfield and everything uh, there that we really don't use very much at the moment. It's an opportunity for us to invest in the next generation. Let's stand. If I can invite the band back up, please. I'm just going to read something uh, to you out of Corinthians. We've not spoken about giving, and I know there is a danger in that, that, that in a sense maybe the biblical uh, 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 sort of principles aren't, aren't in, focused in our minds, but I just, I'm going to read something out. I mean, if you feel comfortable, just uh, <coughs> close your hands, raise... Close your hands? No. Close your eyes and raise your hands. I'm just going to read, pray really, something over us. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man or woman should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Lord, I ask you, Lord, at this moment, as we stand here before you, Lord, I pray that we would just keep in step with you. As individuals, we'd keep in step with you. Lord, I pray there'd be no heaviness in this. I, don't want, I pray there wouldn't be an ounce of compulsion, but people would give generously what God has placed on their hearts to give with a sense of joy and freedom and liberty. We thank you, you've given so very much to us. And in the end, as we give these gifts, we're only giving back to you just a small proportion of what you've already given to us. Lord, I pray for your miraculous provision this morning. 